Good morning. If you have your Bible, open to John 4. Or turn on your phone or however it is you choose to get there. John chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. It was 18 years ago this past June, so last month, 18 years ago that I first met Bethany. We met at a church camp. A matter of fact, it's the camp that Ryan is headed to in just a little while. We were both camp counselors there, and uh, I was there early because, you know, I'm responsible. And Bethany came in late to a staff meeting because she was busy with beautification or something. But she got there a little late, and I noticed her come in, and that's how I, that's how I first spotted her. She came in late for a, for a meeting, for a staff meeting. And, you know, it was just instant uh, smittenation, whatever the word is. You know, I was just, I saw her and I wanted to get to know her. And I did. And we've been together every day since that day that I first laid eyes on her. You know, we've, I mean, we have been together for, for 18 years. So we started uh, our relationship then. Now, I lived five hours away from her. I lived at the very top of Alabama, and she lived at the very bottom of Alabama. And so I would have to drive five hours to go and, and, and see her. And that went on for a little while, and here she is. That went on for a little while, and then I decided I got tired of driving five hours to go see her. Well... On September the 1st, 1999, I proposed to her, okay? Now then, if you've done the math, that's not very long, okay? We met in June, I proposed in September, okay? Pretty quick, all right? Pretty quick. As a side note, when I was doing youth ministry, I would have parents come and say, hey, can you please tell my kids not to rush into their marriage? And I'm like, uh, well... I don't know that I'm the best person to have that conversation. Let me tell you a little story. <laughs> but on September the 1st, 1999, I proposed, and she said yes. And I told, yes. And, and it's worked out pretty well for me. I'm pretty psyched about it. Okay? Uh, I told everybody. Okay? I mean, it didn't matter. I told everybody that I could tell people that I met in gas stations, people that I went to school with, waitresses, waiters. It didn't matter. I told everybody. Here's a picture. That's our engagement picture from 1999. Yes. Yes. Bethany was 20 years old. Now, then I won't tell you how old she is now, but if you've paid attention and you can do basic math, you've probably figured it out. Uh, and I was a certain age at that point, too. But that's our engagement picture, okay? And I told everybody about it because I wanted everybody to know that I had met someone and that I loved her and she was going to spend the rest of her life with me. And I was incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed by that. And that was news that I wanted to, I wanted to share with somebody because that's what we do, right? That's what we do, okay? 
We like to share those things. All right? We, we, we like to tell important things. You know, that's how we do. You know, back during the fall, I got to coach the U8 All-Star team in soccer uh, and, and to help my buddy Elijah coach. And we went all the way to, you know, we won a, a sub-district tournament in South Georgia, up in Albany, and from there we went on to state and we or to district, and we were the six, 2016 under eight district three champions. You know, and I made no bones about it. I was proud of that team, okay, and I was proud of those kids, and I wanted people, I wanted people to know about it. You know why? We share things that we're excited about, do we not? Right. And so, as you know, the reason why I'm telling you these things is because this is what our city connection is going to be this week. In fact, I'm going to give it to you right now. And if you've been watching on Facebook, if you've checked in and you've seen my status, you've got part of it already. But our city connection for this week, as we talk about John 4, as you hear those two stories that I've talked about, it is this right here. When you care, you share. Does that make sense? Okay, when you care about something, you care about something passionately or you care about something that you're excited about, you want to tell others about it, do you not? You know, and in the day of social media, man, we see all kinds of that stuff. Now then, back in, in 99 when we got engaged, there was not social media back then. So I was just, it was just literally word of mouth or me calling people on the phone and telling people that I was getting married, you know. But when we have something that we care about, we share it, okay? And that's what I want us to think about, and you understand this as well. Think about the most exciting news that you have ever received, okay? I think about those things all the time. Okay, when we found out that we were pregnant with Jackson, we wanted to tell everybody. Because that was a big, big ordeal for us because it took us seven and a half years before we could have kids, okay? And at one point, we were beginning to wonder where, whether we would have children at all and then to find out that, that Bethany was pregnant with Jackson. Man, we wanted to tell everybody about it, okay? Because we had prayed. We had asked for prayers, okay? We had people that were supporting us and asking us and they had just helped us along the way. Okay, and when we found out, we were so overjoyed that we had to tell everybody that good news. You know what I'm talking about? Same thing with Miles. As, as we, were, uh, we were preparing to start that process all over again, uh, working with infertility doctors, and all of a sudden, Bethany was pregnant with Miles, and we, just, you know, we were just elated. And we, so we, it was the same thing. We just told everybody. Look at what God has done. He has blessed us in, in such a way, okay? And because we care about those things, we wanted to share those things. And that's the same with all of us. You think about when you found out that you were pregnant with your, your children. You wanted to tell people, okay? You wanted to let them know, okay, you passed out cigars and you did stuff like that to let them know that you had a, a new baby, okay? But when we receive a promotion at work, we want to tell people about it. You see people when they buy their, their first home or move from their first home into their dream home, we're excited about stuff like that, are we not? We want to tell people. People get engaged, and just like, you know, just like we did, 
They want to tell people. And now with social media, you can tell more people with the click of a mouse than you could just by word of mouth. You know what I'm saying? One of the big things now are these the gender reveal parties. Have you seen these things on Facebook? They're, they're everywhere. Okay? Just this week, we had some friends that, you know, they revealed the gender of their baby, and they're having a, they're having a little girl. And it's not just because, oh, hey, another girl coming in the world. It's because they're excited about it. Okay? And when you care about something, what do you do? You share it. Because when you care, you share. Now then, it's not always good stuff that we care about and share about because sometimes there are some very real needs that people have, right? There are some very serious things. People have illnesses, okay? Uh, You lose loved ones sometimes. Somebody might lose a job, and, and we care about those things as well, okay? And the reason why we share those things, I think, is not to... So not so much about garnering attention for ourselves, but it's so that people can, can know what's going on with us, so people can support us. And a lot of times we do it because we're asking for, for prayer, are we not? Because we care about those things. We care about the situations we're in. We care about the people that they might be affecting, and so we share, okay, to garner support in such a way. When we care, we share. Now, in our age of technology, social media, all those things, you know, it seems like we've sort of, we've sort of cornered the market on, on sharing things. But people have been doing this for a long, long time. And as we come to, to John chapter 4 today, we see this very powerful encounter that Jesus has with this woman and you see a lot of these things happening you see life change open up as Jesus begins to to reveal things in her own life to her but as the story goes Jesus was out ministering and he was kind of down south and in Judea the Pharisees were beginning to talk about some things about John and Jesus maybe they're trying to to pit one another, you know, pit themselves against one another, who's baptizing more, you know, that kind of thing. And Jesus decides that he's going to leave Judea. Okay, he's going to leave Judea, he's going to go back north, he's going to go back up to Galilee, where a lot of his ministry takes place. And the text tells us that he had to pass through a place called Samaria. Now, if you've been reading your Bible for a long time, then you know something about Samaria. You know that in Samaria are a a certain people that are not completely Jewish. Okay, They're, they're Jewish and Gentile. Okay, And the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. They didn't want anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, they viewed them as, as unclean. That we can't talk to them. We don't need to spend time with them. Okay, we need to avoid them altogether. And as a matter of fact, people that were uh, uh, traveling from north to south or south to north, they would often kind of walk around Samaria if they could to avoid having to come in contact with these Samaritans. Well, Jesus is not going to do that. Okay, 
Jesus elects to go right through Samaria, and he comes to a place called Sychar. And it's hot, it's the middle of the day, and he sits down by a well. The disciples are hungry, they go into town to, to buy some food, and so there Jesus is, and he is sitting at this well by himself, when all of a sudden, a woman appears. And she is at the well in the middle of the day, at noon. Your Bible may say, during the, during the heat of the day. And we wonder, why on earth is she waiting till this time to do this? Why wouldn't she get up and go in the morning? When it's cooler. You know, why wouldn't she do it in the evening and get the water for the next day? Why is she here in the middle of the day? And as she's walking up to the well, she sees that Jesus is there. And it's as she sees Jesus, he asks her for a drink. And verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman asked him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. She is kind of startled, number one, that, that he is there. Okay, she's there at this part of the day for a specific reason. She wants to be alone and then all of a sudden here is this jewish guy in her town in her region where there should not be a jewish guy and not only that he's speaking to her because in this time male religious leaders did not speak to women in public but yet here is jesus and he's asking her for a drink and she's taken aback by this. She's saying, how can you ask me for this? Because you're a Jew and, and, and I'm a Samaritan and, and, and we don't associate. You know, your, your people don't like my people. Y'all kind of look down on us. And then in verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would give you living water. You know, she's, she's intrigued by this. What's this, this living water? And she says, are you, you, know, are you, are you greater than our, than our ancestor? Are you greater than Jacob, who, who gave us this well? We've been coming to this well for years. Are you greater than him? You know, where is this water that you're getting, this living water that you're talking about? Where is it? And then in verse 13, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or ever have to keep coming here to draw water. She's intrigued by the offer that Jesus makes. This, this living water. And of course, her, her focus 
is on her physical needs. Okay? Because every single day she has to go to the well, she has to draw water. Okay? Because that's a basic human need, a human need that we still have today, right? Everybody has a need for water. Okay? That's not gone away. We've not conquered that one through technology. Okay? We have a basic need, food, water, sleep, shelter, those kinds of things. Okay? Here she is out here by herself at a time of day when nobody else would be there. So that tells us that there's something else going on to this story. And Jesus says, I'll give you living water. And she's thinking, that's great. You say, I'll never thirst again. She's thinking, if you give me that water, I don't ever have to come back here again. I don't have to come back here in the middle of the day. I don't have to be out here when it's blazing hot. I don't have to be here and worry about running into somebody who might know something about me that I don't want to talk about. I want to know about this, about this living water. And then Jesus takes the conversation He kind of adds a little twist to it. And he says, go call your husband. And you can imagine what she's feeling in that moment. And this gives us a clue as to why she's there by herself. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. But you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now, he's not your husband either. Can you imagine what she must have been feeling in that moment? I just sort of imagine the color draining from her face as this stranger whom she has never met is telling her about her life. He's exposed her. He knows about her. You had five husbands. And the one you've got now, he doesn't even love you enough to make you his wife. Now, we don't know how she ended up in that situation. It might have been that she was poorly mistreated through all of those marriages. It might be that, that one or a few of her husbands had, had died. It might be because she made poor choices in her life. But what we do know, or what we can gather, is that it must have brought some sort of, of shame on her. Because she's there at the well in the middle of the day. Nobody else will be there. So she doesn't have to talk to anybody. So she can avoid the looks. She can avoid the comments that might be made behind her back. She can avoid the, the finger pointing. Because her past is likely filled with deep shame and maybe some deep regret. And now Jesus has said, well, you're right that you don't have a husband. You've got five and you're living with a guy right now. And, of course, she does what, what any person would do. She changes the subject. 
you know? Isn't that what we do? You ever had something going on in your life, something that you're dealing with, or something that's happened in your past, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody is aware of it in some way, and they start asking you about it. You know, what's that like when somebody starts shining the light on you and it gets a little too bright? What do you do? You want to get out of that situation. Okay, you want to you change the subject. You want to redirect it. And that's what she does. She starts talking about worship. She says, I see you're a prophet. And they start talking about who's going to worship where and all of this stuff. Within a, a, a little while, the disciples, they return from their food run. And they see that Jesus is talking to the woman. And they're kind of scandalized by it. Because again, Jesus is talking to a woman in public, but not only that, she's a Samaritan woman. She's somebody that's, that's unclean. Now then, nobody says anything about it, but the Bible tells us that's kind of what they're thinking. And I don't know if she picks up on the hint, if she can read their body language or whatever, but it says that she left her jar, her, her bucket, and she ran back to town. And nobody could blame her for going in and locking her doors and hiding away, right? But that's not what she does. Verse 29 says, she goes all the way back to town and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. There's been a serious shift that has taken place at Jacob's well in Samaria, right? I mean, I think we can see it right there. She's gone to the well in the middle of the day to be by herself, okay? This woman, this woman is a professional recluse, all right? She is good at avoiding people. She's good at trying to get out of uncomfortable situations, okay? She's good at maybe keeping her past covered, at least as best she can. She doesn't want to talk about it. And now all of a sudden, Jesus has, has brought it out in the open. He's talked to her about living water. He's offered her a life change. You see, when Jesus changes our lives, He changes our story. He then makes our shame part of the story that He can use to change other people's lives. And so she runs all the way back to the town in the middle of everybody, people that she's probably avoided for years, and she said, there is a man at the well who just told me everything about myself. Could he be the Messiah? Could this be the guy? Could this be the one that we've been waiting on? Now then, my question is this. What could be so great that would give her the courage to do this. If she's been avoiding people for years, why would she go all the way back into town 
They start saying, hey, I just met the man that told me everything that I ever did. It's because she cared enough to share. I think it means that she's so concerned for the people around her that the news is so good to her that her life has been completely changed inside and out and that she wants everybody else to experience the same life change that she's experienced. She cares for the rest of the Samaritans there in Sychar, so she runs back into town. She tells them about Jesus. And the town hears what she says, and what happened? They all went out. They all went out to see Jesus. And so they get out there. And you can imagine what's going through their heads. They're, 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 they're seeing this woman. They're seeing that something is different about her. Verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything, everything that I have ever done. And verse 41 says, And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. They came in contact with Jesus because she cared enough to share. That means that Jesus must have changed her life in such a way that she is now courageous enough to talk about her own past. She's courageous enough to bring that out and say, look, he knew everything about me. He knew what I was done. He knew that I had those five husbands. I think this is the Messiah, and you need to come see him. And so they all did. This woman who I think has probably lived a life of shame, a life of, uh, of hiding and being reclusive, a life that's been defined by, by brokenness. I mean, she's had five broken marriages in one way or another. And the man she's with now doesn't respect her enough to marry her. You can imagine the shame and the pain that she has dealt with. But now she's come in contact with Jesus. Jesus has changed her status. Jesus has given her living water and it has given her the courage to share with other broken people all around her. And the result is that all of those people come out to Jesus and many of them believed just because she told her story. Because she cared enough to share. Now then, there are people that are, that are broken that live all around us, right? All around us. We, we know that. 
We see them. You drive through our, our streets in Thomasville, and you know that there's broken people. Okay? There are people that deal with brokenness inside of this room. Am I right? And if there's people in here that are broken, then surely there's more out there that are broken, right? And we know that. We see them in the grocery store. We see them walking up and down the sidewalks. We see them in our neighborhoods. We know that their children go to school with our kids. Some of you have or have had those children in your classrooms. We know there is brokenness all around us. We know that there are people that are, are trapped and held captive by their past because of, of, of poor life choices that they have made. And what those people need more than anything is they need the touch of Christ in their life. They need Jesus. I love what Jesus tells the disciples. They come back and, you know, she's there and she takes off running and they start talking and Jesus turns things to the harvest and he says this. He says, don't say four months and then comes the harvest. He says, but I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. That's a word for us today. Because it does not take very long. Ten minutes or less of driving through our city to see that the fields are still ripe for harvesting. Are you with me? The harvest is it's not, we're not preparing for the harvest. It is time to be harvesting. So what do you need to do? You must care enough for these people to share your story. To share how Jesus changed your life. To share how he's given you new and living water that wells up into eternal life. We must have a heart for the lost. Right? We must have a heart for the lost. And that cannot be lip service. We cannot have a heart for lost people on Sunday mornings. We have to have a heart for lost people every single day of our lives. Every single day. And then not only must we have a heart for the lost, our compassion for the lost must lead to action. We meet needs. We listen to people. And you know what I have found, which I know you've experienced this as well, is that when I start to listen to people, I start to, hear, uh, I start to hear about their life, and I start to hear common things in their life. And you might hear them talk about something that's gone wrong in their life or something that's gone great in their life. And see, when people start to share different things that have gone on, that's the, that's the indicators that should be going off. There's an opportunity to share something. There's an opportunity 
to, to show them that I genuinely care for these people. There's an opportunity to say, hey, look, I know what you're talking about. I've been there. I've experienced divorce. I've experienced loss. I've experienced depression. I know what it means to lose a job or to lose a home. But that's not all there is. I know what it means to, to battle addiction. But I've come out, I've been freed from it. That's the opportunities that we're listening for. You see, when we care, we'll start to see people through different eyes, through the eyes of Jesus. And when we care, we'll start, I think we start to listen differently. When we start to care, when we start to listen differently, then I think that just naturally leads us to then share what we know about Jesus. Share our own life story. It's not just about, let me, you know, let me share and lead you through a Bible study. It's like we said last week, the gospel is your story too. It's your story enveloped into the gospel. Does that make sense? So however, whatever Jesus freed you from, whatever Jesus freed me from, that then becomes the gospel. Part of the gospel. Let me tell you how Jesus set me free. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. You know what I'm saying? It's not time to start preparing for the harvest. In Thomasville, Georgia, the fields are ripe for the harvest right now. We have to care enough to share because there is so much at stake for people who don't know about Jesus. We have to have a compassionate heart for them. So I wonder... What would, what would our lives individually look like if we began individually to care enough to share? What would that look like? Just think about that sort of as we hypothetically talk about some of these things. What would... What would our church look like if we began to care so much about people that we began to share how Jesus changed our life? What would our church begin to look like in just a short amount of time? What would happen in our city if we cared enough to share the hope and the freedom of Christ with people that we came in contact with. We would begin to see things change, would we not? But it's not going to happen because we just think it's a good idea. It's going to happen when you and I care enough to share. Does that, does that make sense? And so that's the city connection that I want us to think about this week. I want us to be listening for people to just kind of give us those, those hints. That doesn't mean it's going to just take place right then. Listening sometimes takes a long time. Sometimes it's a process, right? 
but we just have to be willing. We have to pray that, that God will give us a compassionate heart for the lost. We have to pray that God will give us the eyes and the ears of Jesus and that He will give us the courage, just like this woman, to care enough about our lost neighbors and broken neighbors to share the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Will you care enough to share? Let's pray together.